master and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to, to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it. And yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to, to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, says the dung, says, sorry. dung on your faces, and you should be taken away with it, sorry. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have cursed, you have caused me to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. And as much as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another? profaning the covenant of our fathers. Judah has been faithless 
An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, you said in Thessalonians that you knew that they were chosen and that they were loved by you because when the word came to them that it was accompanied with, with power, the word was accompanied with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction, and they began to imitate you, and they received the word with joy. Lord God, would you accompany the teaching of your word today with your Holy Spirit so that we would delight in you. Love on us now as we hear your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was reading this passage, I was struck. I was struck by verse 10. It says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire, on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. And I thought to myself, how many churches are there today that God wishes would close down? Where he says, that choir could sing, but I'm not listening to them. That, that church does tons of service, but that, those projects store no rewards in heaven. And that preacher, he, he could preach, but I'm not going to build my church with him. I would rather that church, that ministry shut down. And those are haunting words. So to guard our doors, I want us to learn from the evil behavior, the evil mistakes that the Israelites made in their community so that our worship would always be pleasing in the Lord's sight. So our worship will be accepted by him. And I have confidence that we can do this, bring God true and acceptable worship. If we, if we worship, if we do three things, worship in light of his greatness, if we worship in light of his faithfulness, and if we worship in light of his unity. Worship in light of his greatness, his faithfulness, and his unity. In light of his greatness, 
verse, at the beginning of in chapter two, verse, I mean, chapter one, verse six, it says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests, who despise my name. Now, at this time, he's talking to the priests, and the priests were the worship leaders of the, uh, and spiritual guides of the Israelite community. And the Lord is t- saying, telling to the priests, your talk is cheap. You say I'm your father, and you say I'm your master, but you don't honor, and you don't respect me, and you don't fear me. As a matter of fact, it says you despise me. And to despise the Lord means to, to treat him as worthless, as, as invaluable, to kind of look down on him. And so they ask in verse, the remainder of verse 6, but you say, how have we despised your name? And he answers, by offering polluted food on my altar. Now, one of the key roles of the priest was to offer acceptable sacrifices on the altar of God. In the book of Leviticus, God gave the Israelites a worship plan that would ensure his blessings and his presence if they stuck to it. And part of that plan included making sacrifices of animals to have their sins forgiven. And he told them exactly what to offer and what not to offer. So in Leviticus chapter 22, in verse 20, just listen, he says, You shall not offer anything, you shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable to you, for you. And then he goes on again and says, in verse 22 of Leviticus 22, Animals blind or disabled, or mutilated, or having a discharge, or an itch, or scabs, scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. They had these clear commands, but yet instead, in the t- as we read in the text, they were offering blind animals, lame, sick, and, and even stolen animals. They were giving God things that they wouldn't even give the governor. Look at verse 8. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. And so he's like, if, if your governor won't even accept that, why would you even bring that to me? And that's what led to him saying in verse 10, right? He's with, I have no pleasure in you. Your worship is in vain, vain fire on the altar. Look at verse 11. He shows how backwards their actions are. He says, For the, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every pl- place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it. Here God is saying, when many other nations will one day bring pure offerings to me, the nation that I formed and created and chose is profaning me. Then the people, they say this in verse 13, what a weariness this is. What What a weariness this is. All this sacrifice, all this obedience giving you my best. Lord, it's too much. And then the Lord ends in um, chapter, chapter 1, verse, uh, at the end of 14, he concludes that says, he says, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, 
and my name will be feared among the nations. What a weariness this is. Now, if we're Christians, we don't have to offer animal sacrifices anymore because Jesus Christ was our once and for all sacrifice. And so when we look, but in response to his sacrifice and in thankfulness, we do worship him in obedience. And our obedience is our spiritual sacrifices to him. So my question to the church is this. What do we do when we find ourselves getting weary of offering spiritual sacrifices to the Lord? So we, we listened last week to Pastor T in, in Luke chapter 6, and he's like, blessed are, are the poor for um, there's the kingdom of heaven. We're like, but it's weary being poor. Blessed are those who hunger now, for they will be filled later. But it's weary hungering now, sacrificing now for Christ. So what do we do when we get weary? We don't want to slip into this same, this same problem as the Israelites, right, and beginning to despise him for, for who he was and what he's done. So what do we do when we get weary? Well, here's the antidote I see in the text. Remember... Remember that God is great. Remember that God is great. Now, that doesn't necessarily get at whatever itch you're trying to scratch, but sometimes we just have to obey because he's great. I I may ask someone, do you think God is good or has he been good to you? Or has he been loving to you? And you you might be like, I've had a hard road. Some stuff has been going wrong left and right. I say, okay, I feel that. I can feel that. I understand that. But if I ask anybody in here, is God great? You have to say yes. Because the heavens declare his glory and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Therefore, because God is great, worship him. I'll never forget, I, I saw, uh, I watched YouTube a little too much. And it was this flick that said, what happens when, Drake's com- when Drake, he's a rapper, comes on Howard's campus? And then I guess um, he came on campus, and all you just see is students, just men and women, men and women, jumping out of their classrooms and running to see this man, Drake. And I was like, I bet one of those men are going to go back and think, what in the world was I doing? <laughs> and I'm... What was I doing? And I know what they were doing. And something inside of me said, this man is great. And so I'm going to forget my common sense to sit my button clad because I'm already failing. And I'm going to go run out and see Drake. And that's what he's saying. Like, when we know something is great, we run to it. it. Greatness demands us to come to it, regardless of the situation. It's hard but let his greatness spur us on to consistent and godly worship to him. And if you're a Christian, he has been great to you. You are not here by your own doing. You were dead in your sin. Your heart was stone. Wide is the gate to hell, narrow is the gate to heaven. And you think that you found it on your own? No, he did a great work in your life and sets your feet on this path. God has been great. 
and he is great. And his text says, he keeps on saying, my name is great. My name is great. My name is great, right? So when he's saying my name is great, he's saying everything about him is great. His mercy is great mercy. His patience is great patience. His justice is great justice. His long-suffering, his steadfastness, his faithfulness is great and so far better than anything in this world. He exceeds it, and so he demands our worship, and we should give it to him even when we're weary. We should worship him in light of his greatness. And look, he's so great that he don't even need us, right? And so in this text, he says, um, from the rising of the sun, verse 11, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And that's after he told them to shut the doors. He doesn't need anybody to go get him glory because he's going to get his glory and he's going to save people and because he's sovereign over everything. And so we should join him in this greatness as we go out and share the gospel to the nations because God is great and we want them to worship a great God. And he's so great that even the Israelites' most purest sacrifices and even our best sacrifices will not save us. That's how great he is. He's so great that our sacrifices do not satisfy his wrath. And so all of those sacrifices of, this, of those animals and even our were a placeholder for Jesus Christ. And even our sacrifice right now, we do as we imitate Christ because Christ is the one who saves. Christ is the one who came to earth and lived a perfect life. He was blemish-free. He was without sin. No wrong was on his lips. No wrong was in his heart. And then he took that sinless life, and then he went to that wooden altar on the cross. And on that cross, he died. And he died for sinners. He died for sinners. And then he rose again. And when he rose again, he showed that his death, that showed that his death was acceptable in God's sight. And so that now he is the only one that can save. And so all people who come to Jesus Christ put their faith in him. You will be saved based on his sacrifice. Based on his sacrifice. Christianity is not a gospel for the the goody goods. And it's not a a, a gospel for, it's not the white man's religion. It's not America's religion. It is a center for, it is a religion for sinners who feel the guilt of their sin and want to be saved. So if you see yourself to be a sinner, if you feel the guilt within your heart, come to Jesus and worship him. Turn from your sin and trust in him because he's a great God. He's offered a great sacrifice on your behalf. Worship him. And again, if you are a Christian, if you have been saved, continue to worship God because he is great. We also want to worship God in light of his faithfulness. 
in light of his faithfulness. In chapter 2, at the beginning of chapter 2, he again is talking to the priests, and he talks how they had, and what they were doing, they were again despising his faithfulness. And what he does in this section, he does little reminiscing, right? And he reminds them of the covenant that he made with them. Follow along as I read in verses 4 through 6. Six. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and righteousness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. The priests were of the tribe of Levi, and God made a covenant with them that they would be his ministers of worship and would provide them, and he would provide them life and peace. And within this covenant, they had some key responsibilities, which included not only offering sacrifices, as we saw earlier, but also teaching the law and walking upright and living according to the law. But they violated the covenant. They didn't teach the whole counsel of God. They didn't live holy lives. And so God made them despised. Look again at verse 8 of chapter 2. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. And as much as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. God is a covenant keeping God because he is faithful. He is loyal to his word. And when he makes a promise, it will come to pass. Now, the amazing thing is that the priests, the Levites, were, were offered life and peace. And yet they exchanged it for curses. Seems like a no-brainer, life and peace from God or curses from God. But sometimes in our sinfulness, we question or test God's faithfulness. And we think his I wills are really our mites. But no, God doesn't play lottery with life and he isn't rolling the dice on his plans. So when he told them in verse 2, I will send a curse upon you, I will curse your blessings, that was a promise And when he said that um, he would rebuke their offspring, that was a guarantee if they didn't obey him, if they didn't keep this covenant. And look again at verse um, 3. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Now, that's kind of vile imagery, but he's just showing how much he doesn't like sin. So he's not literally going to spread dung on their faces. What it was was whenever the the priest had to make a sacrifice, they had to take, they had to cleanse the fat and the dung and put it outside the camp. And so when he said, I'm going to spread dung on your face, he said, I'm going to treat you like that dung and I'm going to put you outside of the camp. I'm going to put you outside of my presence. Cursing their blessings. Think about your blessings being cursed. Your food, which is a blessing, rotten. Your bodies, another blessing, diseased. Your hard work, 
in vain. Your pregnancy is excruciatingly painful. This is life under the curse. And to some degree, everybody in the world have experienced this because according to Genesis 3, the world is under a curse. Death and decay has been introduced to the world because of sin. And now we experience this in our souls, in our bodies, in creation. Some people say that certain nations that practice voodoo or certain hoods or certain families got a curse on it. Look, the Bible says the whole world is cursed. And just because a person gets a job and moves out to the birth doesn't mean that they lifted the curse from themselves. Because death follows wherever you go. And so... The world is under a curse because of sin. And God was faithful to his word. But just as God is faithful to his word of curses, he is also faithful to his word of blessing. There is a way that the curse can be lifted. Again, when Jesus died on the cross, he became a curse. And he redeemed people from the curse. And now everybody who trusts in Christ can now be accepted and their curse can be removed and they can experience life and peace. Brother and sister, you can exchange the curses of God for life and peace by trusting in Christ. And this life and peace isn't defined by the world. It doesn't mean you're going to have no birth pains. It doesn't mean your food won't rot. God has defined life as knowing Jesus Christ, and he has defined peace as no longer being his enemy, but being his friend, being reconciled to him, being his child. This life in peace is beyond this world. It conquers the world. It carries us through the curses and into a heaven filled with eternal delight. Life in peace is knowing Jesus, and God is faithful to grant anyone this life if they trust in Jesus because God is faithful to his word. And that's why ministers of God's word need to stick to preaching God's word. According to God's order in life, in some measure, he has made the spiritual health of the church dependent on on, on the pastors in some measure. And how tragic it would be for a congregation to receive a polluted water from from corroded pipes. Yes, ministers of God's word are fallen and sinful, but we need to guard our lives and our doctrine so that none of that wickedness is injected into the teaching of God's word and poisons the congregation. This is what was happening in this community. They were causing people to stumble. We need to guard our lives and our doctrine so that, none, so that we do not cause people to stumble. We are supposed to turn people away from iniquity, not lead them into it. There are pastors that do this all the time because, and it stems from them having no fear of God. We have to be a church. We have to be teachers. We have to be preachers. We have to be pastors that fear God is in awe of him and, and, and that worships him and, and that delights in his faithfulness to his word. Now, there are a number of other spheres in which God has called certain individuals to teach the word too. 
It is, the, it is the responsibility of elders to teach the church, but also according to Titus 2 and 3, older women have a call to teach younger women in the church. And according to Ephesians 6, 4, parents, specifically fathers, are called to teach their children. And in Hebrews 5, 12, it says that all ought to be teachers. So right now, if, we, if, if you're a Christian, if you're here, I'm talking, I'm talking to a teacher or I'm talking to a soon-to-be teacher. So while it's many things I could say about teaching God's word and sticking to his instruction, I'm just going to say two. One, your best message or sermon or teaching is not the one that makes people shout or laugh or cry. Your best teaching is your truest teaching. The teaching that sticks to God's word. He said that true instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. We need to stick to the truth of God's word. You're nothing but a messenger for God. We don't make the message. We don't twist the message. We relay the message. We don't teach stuff that we don't want to teach. We teach the whole counsel, and we let God do his work through the truth of his word. First thing to say. Second thing is, your life matters. Your life will either undermine God's word or support God's word. Paul said in Timothy 4.16, to keep a close watch on your life and on teaching, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Your life matters. And so we need to be a church that teaches God's word and lives out God's word because he is faithful to his word. And that will be us worshiping God in light of his faithfulness. And then lastly, we should worship God in light of his unity. Starts in verse 10. He says, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Here we see another way that the people were profaning God. They were despising his unity. And when I say the unity of God, I'm speaking to the fact that there is only one God and God is one. And now in this section, he's not just talking to the priests, but he's talking to all the Israelites. And he also used the term Judah. And he says that your God is one. And he is your father. He was referring to how God created and formed Israel into a nation and became like a father to them, protecting, loving, and disciplining them. So since they had one father, they should have all been united and been faithful to one another. But they weren't. He says, why then are we faithless to one another? profaning the covenant of our fathers. They mistreated one another and, and being faithless to one another, they were breaking their covenant. But ultimately, ultimately they were despising the unity of God. Now, how were they breaking their covenant with one another though? How were they demonstrating this faithlessness? Well, it was displayed in many ways as we'll see kind of in the rest of Malachi. But Malachi here focuses on Marriage, their union of marriage. 
And they violated it in two ways. One, they were marrying women who worshiped foreign gods. And two, they were divorcing their wives. Look at verse 11. Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed to, in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Here we see now how, how does intermarrying profane the covenant community and the unity of God? Well, marrying a woman who worshiped another god was now introducing a false god into the worship community, into their sanctuary. And God does not share his glory with another. And please note that, please note that God calls it an abomination. This is serious in God's sight. It's serious because the one God deserves all the praise. It was not about ethnicity. It was about worship. The reason is clearly stated in Deuteronomy 7.3. It says, in Deuteronomy 7.3, it said, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then Anger, then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. God was guarding the holiness of his people by telling them not to marry foreign women, foreign people. And this is why if you're dating or engaged to a person, if you're dating or engaged to a person who is indifferent to Christ or against Christ, you must in that relationship. The warning is very clear and the results could be very drastic. God has bought you with a price. He does not and he will not share you. Whoever you date or soon to marry should lead you back to the Lord. Back to him, not pull you away from him. So be diligent, be faithful, and date and be engaged to a person who loves the Lord Jesus Christ. But they were also despising the Lord's unity by, through their divorces. Look at verse um, 15. Start at verse 14. But... You say, why does he not? And this is referring to accept their sacrifices. And he said, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of your faith and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. The one God had placed his spirit on their marriage and made them a union under him. That's why when Jesus talks about divorce in Matthew 19, 6, he says, so they, no longer, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, 
let no one separate. So to follow through with divorce for any other reasons that aren't sanctioned by God in Scripture is shaming God's unity and separating what he has put together. And God hates it. And God also desired to bless and expand his community with godly offspring. And so divorce and, um, was hindering that process of them raising godly children. And listen to how God describes divorce in, in the remainder of the verse. He says, the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. Does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. God considers it violence for a person to divorce their wife out of hate, purely out of self-satisfaction or, or selfishness. I like how this one commentary put it. He said, the one who divorces his wife out of hate or greed desire, then, according to the prophet, joins a devilish fraternity. The very things he is responsible as her husband to pursue on her, on her behalf, blessings, good, salvation, praise, peace, and justice. He is wickedly and unscrupulously robbing from her. That is how God sees divorce. And so we should guard ourselves and protect the unity of marriage so that this doesn't happen. Because our marriages are a reflection of the unity of, of God. Now, if you are a Christian and you've repented of your sins and you have experienced divorce, or if you are in a marriage now and you, you find yourself in a marriage with a spouse who is an unbeliever, please know that your garments are not filled with violence, but instead they are as white as snow. For his blood washes away all sin, and you are now standing in grace. Your marriage situation does not define you. Christ does. In Ephesians 5.31, it says, when God speaks about marriage, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is just a dim reflection of Christ's covenant relationship with his church. So while our marriages will be flawed, while we may have made mistakes, his marriage to us is not. When we repent of our sins, we become his bride and he holds us fast by his covenant of grace. If you're in Christ, you're a beautiful bride and now you're clothed with righteousness. And brothers and sisters, we need to be on guard for the unity in our marriages and the unity in the church. Satan is real. And he is seeking to destroy the unity in the marriages and in the church. So we got to be on guard. Guards can't go to sleep or the place get robbed. Stay woke. Be vigilant. Be courageous. Take action. With conviction, guard 
your marriage and we have to guard the church. It's one way we can guard our marriages. It's many ways. So just in general, pray. Pray for your marriage constantly. Talk. Talk to your spouse regularly about the marriage. Read a good marriage book um, together with your spouses. Get good godly counsel. Get some accountability. Do whatever it takes in your marriage to keep it strong, to keep the bonds tight. And if you're single, you, you too can help guard the marriages of this church. One thing you can do is you could watch how you interact with other people's spouses. Please, and I praise the Lord right now that nobody is doing this, and, and I, I, I just wanted to encourage us to continue to watch how we interact and watch how we dress so that we do not tempt anybody away from their spouse. Another way we can help is by babysitting for date nights. By babysitting for date nights. And by babysitting for date nights. <laughs> another thing you can do, another thing you could do, single people, is hold your married friends accountable to the truth you know about marriage. Hold your married friends accountable to the truth you know about marriage. You don't have to be married to say God's word to them. You don't have to be married to say God's word to them. And if you're married, don't be so prideful as if you can't hear nothing from a single person anymore. Okay? Single person, we all... Call those husbands to be understanding to their wives and to lay down their lives for their wives and ask them how they're doing at it. And if they're not, tell them to get, at, get, get to work. And call those women to love their husbands and to, to joyfully submit and to respect and to honor. You can say, you can help our marriages. Please do so. We, as a body, we need to keep our marriages close. And even, and also as a single person, if you, des- if you desire to be married, if God has placed it on your heart, you can begin guarding your future marriage, if it be the Lord's will, right now. So learn self-control. Get good spiritual disciplines. Grow in humility. You're going to need a lot of humility. And serve, 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 serve. And learn how it it's like to confess sin, right? Be a, one who practices now how to say, I was wrong, I messed up, I'm the biggest sinner in the place. Learn how to do that now. And that will be guarding you for your future marriage if it be the Lord's will. And then for the church, let's, just, let's continue to guard our church unity as well, right? Um, so let's stay on guard. Let's, let's pray for one another. Let's stick to his word. Let's think about the covenant seriously. Let's not just say it on, I'm talking to myself right now. Let's not just say it on the days that we have communion and forget about it throughout the, for the next 29 days. Let's think about the, the, the covenant regularly. And let's be active and really try to fulfill that covenant with one another. Let's be quick to forgive one another. Let's serve. Let's kill pride in our lives, kill racism. We're all one body. There should be no racism in here. We shouldn't be split down politics. We're one. We have one father. The government isn't our father. The color of our skin isn't our father. 
our, our favorite genre of music isn't our father. We have one Lord, one Savior, and he has brought us together with one spirit. So let's walk in the spirit of God. Let's love one another. And let's be faithful to one another. And let's worship in light of his unity. So friends, we, we want to um, be vigilant. We want to give God the worship that he deserves because he is great. We want to give God the worship that he deserves because he is faithful. We want to give God the worship that he deserves because he is the one God of all. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you deserve all glory, honor, and power, for by your will we were created and we exist. And by your will we have been offered salvation, and many people in here have received that salvation, and we're so thankful for that. And if we have nothing else to praise you for, we can praise you because we once were lost, but now are found. We once were blind, but now we see. So help us to continue to worship you and and offer sacrifice that are pleasing in your sight. And if there's anybody here who, who is not worshiping you by holding on to Christ, who has rejected his sacrifice or who are adding to his sacrifice, we ask that you would cause them to repent of their sins and to trust in Christ and in Christ alone. Do this for the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, for the glory of your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. sang for offering on page three.